I'll share something that I, that I hate. <clears throat> There's something that I hate. So my, my daughter comes home from school and I, I tell her, go wash your hands. I hate this. What does she do when I tell her, go wash your hands? She takes two drops of H2O, it touches her hand, she touches the soap like this, and then I ask, Ruthie, did you wash your hands? Yeah, I washed my hands. I hate that. Because wh what do you say? Like, she used the elements needed to wash your hands, water and soap, but she really didn't, right? Parents, I think I'm not the only one. Like, and I, I, I hate that because, I guess legalistically, you can say she washed your hands, right? She put, touched some water, touched some soap, and she called it a day. For us, we become so legalistic on certain things in life. For example, the speed limit might say 55. The speed limit might say 55. But in our mind, I don't know if this is a real rule or not, but I, somebody told me this when I, when I started driving. It's like, you can go 65 and you won't get a ticket, right? There's like a 10-mile buffer. I don't know if that's true or not. But we always try to push the limit. We, so don't, don't listen to me if that's – I don't know if that's true or false, so don't – don't tell that you're, if you get pulled over, don't tell, well, my priest said it's okay for me from going. I don't know what the rules are, but I feel like there's like this unwritten rule that you can go 10 miles over the speed limit and you're okay. There's this thing in the human mind where we feel like we can, like here's the rule, but we feel like we can push it just a little bit to get as close as possible to the edge. We want to push a rule to a, a, a point where it's bad, but not that bad. Enough where we can justify what we do, right? Ruth, six years old, washes her hands with soap and water, but she just probably doesn't feel guilty. So when daddy asks her, did you wash your hands? Yeah. Like, so she, no, there, there, no hesitation. She says with confidence, I used soap and water. If you ask, are you speeding? No. You're in the 10 mile, or you're just, you're just 12 mile, or it's downhill, right? You, you, we all love, there's this psychological thing, we love to push the limit a little bit. We love to pu push the limit, even to a point where we can justify it. We can justify why we're pushing the envelope just a little bit. So our thought process, let me show this, our thought process that we end up doing, if it's not wrong, it's okay for me to do this. If it's not illegal, then it's all right for me to do it. If it's not immoral, then it's totally acceptable for me to do this. And if I'm not over the line, then it's totally fine. Like, we, end, we all end up building this subjective line. Is this okay or is this not okay, right? It, you, know, with this, you know, is this okay but not okay? Like, we all build, like, this new constructive narrative of, of, like, what's permissible and what's not permissible, and we end up drawing our own conclusion of what is appropriate and not appropriate. Let me just say this, and maybe some of you already understand this, but something can be legal, but not beneficial. So I, 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 another thing I hate, I hate when conversations say, well, this is legal. Like, it's okay for me to smoke this. It's okay for me to do that. It's legal. Who said that should be the ethical bar that should be of how you manage your life? Who, who, who's the one to say that just because something's legal all of a sudden becomes beneficial? So how does that work? It's because something can be legal does not necessarily mean it is beneficial, right? So stick with me on this. Even St. Paul, a great missionary around the Mediterranean Sea in the first century, made a big point to trying to encourage people to unlearn a very elementary thought process. An elementary thought process is, is this right or is this wrong? Is this good or is this bad? Is this moral or immoral? 
St. Paul's telling them, grow up, man, grow up. That, 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 you need to go past that. It's not about, like, it's not about the, the do's and the don'ts. It's not about this. St. Paul tells us, a, a group of early Christians in the city of Corinth, he tells them this. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things, sure, can be lawful. They, they, I'm, I'm, I'm a law-abiding citizen, sure, for me. But they're not necessarily edifying. But we like to reduce a bar, saying, is this legal or illegal, moral or immoral? Is this okay or not okay? <laughs> Maybe some of us, is this fasting or not fasting, right? We like to just bring down a bar down to just a, a bar, a, a minimal. And St. Paul's trying to tell the city of Corinth, these people who are just beginning to, to build the relationship with Jesus, don't let that be your bar. Like, that, that's so elementary. Is this legal or illegal? Is this good or bad? No, it should be something so much bigger than that. So what do we end up doing? We end up dancing around two things, legal and illegal. Right? We, we try to find that gray area in the middle, responsible and irresponsible. We try to find that gray area in between, or moral and something being immoral. We try to find the line in between all of this. And I totally forgot. I never even gave like a formal introduction. This is our last part of a series on wisdom, on how not to be a fool how not to be a fool. Because, again, I don't know all of your guys' stories, but I promise you, all of us, we have made poor decisions in our life. And we look back and we ask ourselves, how did I do that? How come no one opened my eyes? How, how did it get to this point? We all have regret because we have made emotionally driven decisions, sometimes financially driven decisions. Sometimes we've fallen in love and we made a decision, or I think the reality, most of the time we've fallen into lust. We make a decision and then we look back and it, and it ends up being we're regretful. And we ask ourselves, how did I get myself in this position? So a big thing that gets us into regret, that pushes us to make poor decisions and we end up having a regretful decision, we ask ourselves this question. This is so subconscious. This is so subconscious. Is there anything wrong with this? Is there anything wrong with this? Like when you're making a decision on the spot, should you go to this thing? Should you text back? Should you go out with this person? You know, should I make this financial move? Whatever. You ask, is there anything wrong with this? And then, you know, unpack that. Am I, am I hurting anyone? Am I killing anyone? Is it the end of the world, right? And, 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 or I can control the outcome if it doesn't go the way I want, right? We build, all, we build this entire narrative all driven by this one question. Is there anything wrong with it? Like, is it the end of the world if I actually do this? Is there anything? But you, you and I know this. We get this from life experience. What ends up happening when this becomes my framework of how I make decisions? You know what follows after this? How did I get myself in this position? This is what's end up following. When my framework becomes, is there anything wrong with this? When that becomes my moral code, when that's the ethical bar of how I make decisions, anything really wrong with this? Is this illegal or legal? When, when that becomes my bar, what ends up following is just a matter of time until there's a natural implosion with that thought process. The second question, how did I get myself in this position? Like, how did I arrive at this point? And I apologize if this sets on some emotional, if this pulls some strings, and I apologize. And I th honestly, I think this entire series does a little bit because we all have regret. Your decisions in which you regret, honestly, is just a collection of a series of unwise decisions. Like that, that big regret in which you have, it didn't just, you didn't wake up and say, ah, I think today's will be an awesome day to just explore my entire, no. You, you, it was a collection, it was a series of, of, of unwise decisions that built up on top of each other and compounded on top of each other. So for, for many of us, we didn't get to a point overnight. It happened over one poor decision after another. It was a collection of unwise decisions that brought us to that.
point. St. Paul, this great missionary, he wrote that letter to to the city of Corinth. Not long after that, he writes a letter to the city of Ephesus, and he tells them this, to the Ephesians. Be very careful then how you live. Right? He's, out of his fatherly love, he's trying to tell them, be extremely careful how you live. And here, any, simple could have said anything else what's coming next. He could have said anything, be careful because the devil's, he could have said anything else. He says, be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Let's unpack. What is St. Paul saying? He's saying, be extremely careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. You know what wisdom is? Wisdom is understanding. The decisions you make today affect tomorrow. Wisdom is understanding. The decisions you make today are naturally going to affect tomorrow, are naturally going to come to the surface. You, you try to control it. You feel like, well, no one's going to find out. I can control the outcome, and, and you know, this is just between me and this. Right? You, we feel like we can control it. We feel like we can, we're in control. We fall into that, that trap of deception that we can control it. But St. Paul's saying, be wise, be careful. Not as unwise, but as wise. Understand everything is threaded together. Nothing is in isolation. Making the most of every opportunity, he tells them. Because he's trying to tell them, like, this world is temporal. But take advantage of every opportunity because they're all compounding on top of each other. Like, the difference between being good and great is a, is, is a series of decisions that you make at a micro level on a daily basis. It becomes embedded into the very fabric of how I make life decisions. This is why, my friends, this is why this series is so, like, I'm so passionate about this series. Because every decision we make is just a collection of miniature decisions. But I want us to take a step back, and what's our framework of how we make decisions? Be careful, then, how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most of every opportunity. Because the days around us are driven by consumerism, are driven by individualism are driven by you do what's best for you. This drowns us on social media. This drowns us in the world around us that you do what's best for you. The days are evil, but be wise and take advantage of every opportunity because all of it paves together. In our poor thought process sometimes, we end up saying, again, not out loud, but in our mind, we end up saying, well, I'm not really hurting anybody. I can handle this. There's no law against this. Oh, my favorite. That's okay. God will forgive me. And we end up abusing that, hijacking that theology, and fitting it into my life decisions. Excuses, which we make, pave the way to regret being our destination. Excuses pave the way for regret being our destination. And I want to say this. It's time for us to grow up. It's time for us to grow up from what's right or wrong. This is why, I mean, don't be offended. I, I get tired of the questions of like, well, is, you know, is this right or wrong? Or is this, is this, like, is this fasting or not fasting? Is this whatever? Like, wh- what are we talking about? Are we just talking to, uh, or to uh, two buckets? Is this good or bad, right or wrong? Okay, I, 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 maybe I should, maybe, and I, forgive me, I shouldn't be upset because that's an elementary level. That, right, right? I, I tell my, my, my daughter now, this is right, this is wrong. But as she grows, as she evolves and matures, we need to get past that because all of this is anchored in a relationship. This, this is all anchored in a relationship as opposed to just what's right or wrong. And that's okay. Maybe we, we need our building blocks to understand what's right or wrong. But more importantly, what I want us to get to, what's the bullseye we need to get to? Not necessarily a framework as far as what's right or wrong. Yes, all that's needed. We need the laws. We need the commands. We need that moral code. There's no question about it. 
All that is our ABCs, to live an edifying, more fulfilling life with no regrets. We all need that. But we need to eventually seek and attain and abide in wisdom. We need to abide in wisdom. Over the past several weeks, I've been throwing out different questions for us to kind of digest and talk about in our life groups. The first question we talked about is, am I being honest with myself? Am I being honest for real? Or am I falling into deception? Am I being honest with myself? The second question we asked is, what story do you want to tell? Like, think about when you're making tough decisions on the spot. Ask yourself, what story do you want to tell when this is all said and done? Because the decisions in which you and I make today, at the end, will just become a collection, will just become a story. Your life and my life will eventually just become a story at the end. But it's a collection of the decisions we make. So what story do you want to tell? And another question I asked for all of us to kind of digest is, is there a tension that deserves my attention? Is there an attention? Is there tension that deserves my attention? When I'm making a critical decision and I'm feeling this like, uh, I don't know about this, is there tension in which I need to embrace, I need to pause and take all that in? Is there a tension that deserves my attention? I know this is the fifth and last talk of the series. There's been one problem I've had with this entire series. One problem. My issue with this entire series, all of this can be highly subjective. Highly subjective. As far as what wisdom is. You work with people, you know people who could say they're very wise, but they might have a very different understanding of wisdom. So all this is highly, highly objective. Uh, sorry, all of this is highly subjective. It's all relative. There's an issue. And I want to share with you this. There's a follower of Jesus from the 4th century, around the year 330 A.D. You know in the year 330 A.D., there's no formal Bible yet. Like, we're, we're still trying to put together the Bible in a formal way. The church is alive and thriving. And we're still trying to figure out things. There's councils. There's a lot of movement happening in the church. And there's a church father by the name of St. Epiphanius. Right? It's a lot of syllables. St. Epiphanius. And I want to share with you this very beautiful ancient prayer from the year 330 A.D. in which the saint prays. Here we are 2,000 years later. This prayer is a liturgical prayer in the church. And it's called the fraction of wisdom. The fraction of wisdom. And it's a beautiful, beautiful ancient prayer in which we see it throughout history being used in the Eucharist, in breaking of bread, in the liturgy. And we pray till today, 2,000 years later. So this manuscript is from the year 330 AD called the Fraction of Wisdom. And I want us to digest this together as we look at it. So St. Epiphanius, who was a bishop in, this, in the city of Cyprus. Cyprus is a city or a country, I forgot. Country, country, yeah, Cyprus. Cyprus says this, he says this. Oh, our God, where are the lands of wisdom? Where are the footprints of their ways? Here, St. Epiphanius is saying, I want to attain wisdom. Like, I, I want to make better life decisions. Where is that? Where is this land of wisdom? Like, how do I just attain wisdom? Is that just life experience? Is that just more gray hair? What is that? Like, how do I attain this wisdom? Where are the lands of wisdom? 
Where are the footprints of their ways? I'm trying to find, is, is there even a footprint? Is there even a path for me to follow in order for me to attain this? Because I'm sick and tired of making poor decisions which lead to regret and not only affect me, it affects those around me. Is there, is there, is there even a path? Where are those lands of wisdom? Where are the footprints to their way, to wisdom itself? Who would pass over the seas to buy them with pure gold? Who can ascend above the clouds and bring them? Like he's saying, anybody would just go across the seas to, to, to bring this wisdom and to be able to apply it and attain it. Who can ascend above the clouds and bring them? The mortal man does not know its way. For most men forsake it. Isn't that true? Don't most people forsake wisdom? I mean, this is so true in post-Christian America. We forsake wisdom. Do what's in your heart. Do what's true to you. Do what makes you happy, right? So we forsake wisdom. That's outside the door. And then we dress up my, what, what's best for me. I dress that up and say, yeah, I'm being wise. It's time for me to take care of myself. I'm not saying anything wrong with that. But it is, I'm, I'm just wanting to highlight this very abusive, distorted theology in post-Christian America that I want to do what's best for me. I need to take care, I need to take care of my life. And then I call that wisdom. But St. Epiphanius is saying most people forsake it with a capital I. Wisdom is hidden, even from the angels. Continues. Those who possess wisdom obtain grace, and those who hate it love death. Wisdom is brighter than the sun and all the stars. Wisdom is the light of the Father, existing with him from eternity. Wisdom has existed from eternity. I love this. She renews everyone. She enters the souls of the righteous through all the ages. Wisdom is more precious than pearls and unequal to all honors. Wisdom has counsel, might, and knowledge. By wisdom, kings reigned. The great men are honored, and the princes of the earth govern. Wisdom loves those who love her and protects those who keep her. Those who seek wisdom find grace. Wisdom walks in the way of justice and moves in the path of truth. Wisdom grants richness to those who acknowledge her and fills her treasures with joy. God granted wisdom to our father Jacob, and she, wisdom, then appeared and walked on earth as a man. Wisdom has built her house. She has carved out her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her meat. She has mixed her wine. She has also furnished her table. Stick with me. He's about to explain this. The house of wisdom is the universal and apostolic church. And her seven pillars are the life-giving sacraments of God. Wisdom sent forth her servants to say always throughout the ages, you who are simple, turn to me. As to those who lack understanding, she says, come, come eat of my body 
and drink of my blood. Relinquish the ignorance from among you so that you might live. Wisdom is our Savior, Jesus Christ, who redeemed us with the sacrifice of his body, bought us by his bloodshed, and chose you for his eternal kingdom. We ask you, O our Master, to grant us to find wisdom in you alone to accept the sacrifice from our hands, accept our fasting and prayers, so we may dare as sons to cry to you, our Heavenly Father. How beautiful is this prayer. How beautiful is the ancient church. How vulnerable is this prayer. Your Savior invites you to come and to see and to taste and to abide and to follow him. We're about to begin in a couple weeks here. The week that changed the course of world history. The week that literally changed the calendar for the world. As we follow our Savior, he invites you and me to come. Come. I am wisdom. Come and I will come and make your burden light. We will walk with Jesus. He enters into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, and we say, blessed is he who comes. We follow him on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. We see deception. We see division. In every, in every step, we pause and we say, yours is the power. Yours is the glory. My good Savior. We follow him. We see him gather around that last supper table. And you see those disciples lean in toward Jesus. And Jesus tells them, you have not chosen me. I have chosen you. Jesus looks them in the eye and tells them, I am your friend. He tells them, I have come to make all things new. And they didn't get all that yet. They're kind of tanking it all in, just enjoying dinner. Probably had tons of questions. They see death on a cross. But to be honest, not many actually saw it with their own two eyes. They were nowhere to be found, many of them. And then on that Sunday morning, no one expected someone to rise from the dead. This changed their life. It changed the world. And it is designed to change your life as well. We can talk about wisdom and how to make better life decisions till morning at a psychological level. But if it's not rooted in the reality of your Savior, then it's just a head thing. It's not a heart thing. It's not a life thing. The ancient Jewish proverb, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. The reverence of God is the beginning of wisdom. It doesn't matter where you might stand right now of who Jesus is to you, and I totally get it if you're not all in. But there's something we all have in common. We feel we know what we're doing. We feel like I'm in control. 
I encourage you to at least entertain the idea of I do not know it all. And I am, O oh Lord, without you, nothing. I encourage you to come and lean in toward the Savior of the world and say, I'm here. Take my right hand. I don't know what I'm doing. New life awaits you and me. There's a beautiful song <clears throat> that I grew up with, and it's close to my heart. The song is called, I am, O Lord, without you, nothing at all. What I would love for us to do, if, if you heard it before, you've never heard it before. It's very repetitive. I want us to be able to stand and pray, not just look at the screen and just look at text, but for us to pray this. Because new life awaits us, and your Savior invites you to something new. He has invited us and says, I have come to make all things new. And he is with us today to make all things new. But the only thing he invites us to, the only thing he is requesting of us, for us to acknowledge, I don't know what I'm doing. Take my right hand, and you guide me. You lead me. That alone unlocks the door to the true definition of wisdom. Let's stand together. No, don't leave me alone, oh my faithful shepherd, guide me.
As we are limited and broken and sinful, but Lord, you are our physician. 
Without you, we are nothing. But in you, we find hope. In you, we find life. Lord, you have come to make all things new. We are not defined by our poor decisions from the past, from our regret, from our guilt, from our shame. But we are defined by your unconditional love for us. Lord, we ask that you hear our prayer, accept our fasting as we come to you, desiring to follow you, desiring for your love to be personal and, 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 and something we can live in every aspect of our lives. Lord, we desire to seek this wisdom, which can only come from you. Through the prayers of all your saints, Lord, hear us as we all pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you, y'all. Well, the Holy Week service begins in a, in, in a week and a half, in two weeks, so I encourage you to get, um, to get the schedule from the back there so we can be able to attend the services together. Have a great week.